acting captain's log, stardate 01.01. Before seeking new life and new civilizations, every ship must have her maiden voyage, a moment that transforms a group of officers into a crew. This is ours. Perhaps it would put everyone at ease to revisit the maiden voyages or pilots of iconic Star Trek crews. I am Edson Lilly of the Acting Captain podcast, and this is our crew. Hi, I'm Commander Stephanie Ed. Lieutenant Commander Ray. Lieutenant Kara. And Chief Jake. Okay, so today we're going to be discussing the pilots or the first episode of every series and because i'm acting captain i had to do the legwork and watch every pilot but i did not expect my crew to but we will be discussing every pilot start off with the original series there are two i'd say two pilots yep um one being the man trap and i think the original pilot was the cage oh let's start with the Mm -hmm. cage who of the crew remembers the cage i just uh re-watched it uh because i try i also tried to watch all the pilots i didn't get through picard or prodigy but i got through everybody else but the cage was worse than i remembered which is (laughs) weird for me because I was so fond of it. Like, I was very fond of it and found it very charming. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, subsequently, especially since we've had Strange New Worlds, um, I just kept finding myself incredibly disappointed in Pike and how much of a shit heel he is. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, yes. I was going to say the same thing. Like, when I rewatched it, it wasn't recent, it was probably a couple of weeks ago. But I'm like, this is. He seems sleepy, and this is much slower paced than I remembered, having seen it, like, a few times now. I'm like, what's happening here? So you, no one's cool that uh, it's possible he could quit being captain of the Enterprise and go into slaving. Like, that's yeah. the one part that, what? like, blows my mind every time. Like, that's, he's like, well, I could be a captain, or I guess I could go into the slave trade. Like, what the? It's funny, because if you take away all the sexism, and there's a lot of sexism yeah. in so this episode. Much. Um, I found it fun, much more fun than the man trap, but, oh my god, there is so much sexism. He says he's that, not used to having women on the bridge. That, that yes. line alone stopped yeah. me from watching the original series mm. for years, uh, because I tried, yeah. and I saw, I heard that, and I was like, this is not my Star Trek. I can't. So gross. It was rough. So and they gross. continued it in where No Man Has Gone Before. They, like, did it a little yeah. bit in that in that pilot with the with the psychiatrist being like, professional women do overcompensate or whatever the F. And I'm just like, oh, my God, pilots, get it together. Why are you doing this to me? And and then he basically he defeats the Talosians, Pike, defeats the Talosians mm-hmm. with the power of hate. Hopefully everyone who's listened has heard. Yeah. Um, the whole thing like the premise is there's these people telosians who can control your brain and there's a point where they send pike to hell i love this episode by the way i think yeah. it's a great window into the 60s like uh, it's it just like i watch it and all of this i agree with but it kind of blows my mind a little bit so they send pike to hell and like he's in like this gross red water like burning and then later on, he's choking out a dude with, like, the power of hate, and it turns into a monster. Why not send him to hell again? Like, I don't really know. Like, 
What's going on? I think it's important that people realize that in the 60s, when they were originally trying to get Star Trek on the air, the cage was the pilot that they that they that they did not green light. Mm-mm. They watched yeah. it and said, Mm-mm. this is never going to work. Thumbs and down. so when they when they redid it, which is the menagerie, they were like, this is only marginally better, but sure, we'll try it. Yeah, and so, literally cutting it up. So watching this should a little bit feel like may- maybe this isn't the Star Trek we wanted, Mm-mm. but it did help get get us underway a little bit. It should feel a little bit off. Well, you know, it's beta I, Star Trek. I, it's it's the test. Yeah. It's you know they're like, oh, we're just kind of co- you know we're testing it out. We're playing around with it, and then I I I feel like by the next one they started to get the philosophy mm-hmm. down more, and they replaced Pike. Um, just interesting. Yeah, the Kirk replacement is interesting because Gary Mitchell refers to him when they are talking about. Uh, their time at the academy when Kirk was a lieutenant at teaching courses uh, was uh, a, a stack of books with legs. So it's hmm. so funny of me to think of Kirk as like having this really bookish background. Yeah. I was very surprised and they caged the love how introspective Pike is. Hmm. And it I really enjoy that compared to the man trap that was just like nothing uh, emotional uh, cerebral Mm-mm. going on but there was something about the cage that I'm like okay if you took away the sexism this could have worked mm-hmm. like, right. this could have felt modern but right. there's just too much holding it down mm-hmm and, and just like the species first contact, that's the root of Star Trek. And I'm mm-hmm. surprised they didn't keep that with the pilot, like the Kirk pilot episode. Because maybe we should move on now to the man trap well, if we all want real, to. No, real quick, I think that's why yeah. it failed is like they said it was too cerebral. Like the studio yeah. was sold, like the, I'm sure everybody's heard this, the wagon trains to the stars. And then at the very end, like the Tulasians are kind of sympathetic and they're not quite the villains you thought they were. Like it was kind of too much. And so they got mad. Yeah, it was too many layers. Too many layers. Too deep for the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah okay. Maybe so that was a terrible ahead, thing to say. They were ahead by a decade. Yeah, I feel like you're right. Like, you know, they chose the man trap to be the first episode, but Mm -hmm. it's where no man has gone before was like their second bite at the apple to be like, you guys hated the cage. So here we'll make this one with Kirk and and Gary Mitchell. But I feel like in a way, it's kind of the same story. And then I realized this as I was watching the other pilots that it's like most of the pilots are like the crew encountering a big brain, like literally the Tolosians. And then Gary Mitchell becomes a big brain. Right. Yeah. And then encounter a far point. Q, the big brain. And then right. Voyager, the 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 uh, caretaker, big brain. Mm-hmm. The uh, DS Nine, the 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 prophets, big brain. Yes. Right. And I I was going since you brought it up already. It's weird because all of the TOS through Voyager has two things in common. It's superior 
alien race and mm. some illusionary magic. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, and they just different. find that mm. very an odd through line between yeah. all the pilots that really doesn't get visited throughout the series except right. yeah. through the pilots. It's very existential. It's like, what's the most existential threat you can think of in space is to be, like, encountering entities that, like, are beyond our conception, so are, like, you know, gods, practically, and they can get access to our brains and plant imagery and manipulate our behavior in our brains. Like, there's nothing more Mm -hmm. invasive. Okay, so next is uh, the mantra, right? Because... We kind of talked about it already, um, but I did not like this episode at all. It's funny. I was just, I just had friends, a friend visiting, and I'm, I'm, I made him watch it. Well, I didn't make it, but we watched it, and it was like better, quote unquote, than I remember. And I think it again was coming at it, knowing that we were going to be having these kinds of discussions. As I saw in the man trap, just sort of like the blueprint of like the sort of quintessential episodic original series of like, mm-hmm. there is a uh, monster of the week, but also that monster to theme can plant images in your brain, right? Like the monster, the the salt monster can take the appearance of Bones's former law, mm-hmm. you know, uh, one that got away mm-hmm. or whatever. And like that monster is like trying to figure out what he wants to see versus what he should see, which, uh, you know, that kind of is part of that theme. And so I found that really interesting. It's not a super enjoyable episode. It's kind of predictable, but it really hits a lot of marks. And like, you know, and we and we meet everybody in kind of a natural way. And I also thought all of the like little future effects and aesthetics were just sort of like really sweetly done. Like the mm-hmm. there's that uh, like Sulu has that plant, the little puppet plant that's just like wah, 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 and like pulls back into its little tube when the salt monster gets too close. Like, look, those are such little Star Trek details that were there. Like, I feel like they hit their stride in the man trap and they really were like, here's us. And so that was smart <laughs> to have that be the first episode. They were like, this is this is the most of what we're doing. So from that sense, yeah. But I think you're right. It's just kind of like, eh, it's forgettable. Well, I'm, I'm thinking that like, the reason that it was a better point to start with is because something that's I would say inherently American not not just explicitly human but is I can think and do what I want and so introducing um, species or aliens which we naturally fear the unknown that can change our mind is like talk more about that because it's like what what do you mean what I see and what I feel isn't what I actually see and feel because this thing that I don't know, it may potentially bring me harm because of course you have fear built in is like, I don't know what their intentions are. What I do know is that they're deceiving me. And that, Mm -hmm. that I think is kind of one of the through lines. It's like, maybe before you make a judgment call about whoever or whatever this is, is figure out what their intentions are because maybe this is how they communicate they don't want to hurt you by changing your mind. They just want you to see things differently. Or maybe they even think they're doing you a favor, you know? Yeah, and the man trap has that, like, sweet moment where the McCoy is, it's, it's Steve Force Carey's playing the monster. And it's like, it, I, if I remember correctly, he's ta- it's talking about, like, 
well, maybe this is what it needs. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a cre you know, it's a yeah. really good, I wish I could remember the dialogue exactly, but it's a really good kind of like, it makes you a little more sympathetic towards the monster. I think that's a fascinating idea of tying it to like American individualism. Yes. When we, right. we get to later in TNG, I think that's part of why the Borg are so terrifying, is this idea of this creature taking away your ability to, mm -hmm. I don't know, master your own destiny. Yeah. Right. I think you're right. There's like, at the end, they really, they really started including this sympathy for the salt monster that I think maybe later on they would have known that they should have started that a little earlier. Um, yeah. I feel like that that is like kind of a TNG thing where it's like you think it's a monster, but it's not. But I think it was kind of lovely how the like archaeologist is is basically accepted yeah. the salt monster and they had a marriage. Like they literally yeah. were living as a married couple. And in that scene when the salt monster is playing bones, like basically his husband that, you know, their husband, the entities, the creatures husband is like speaking like sympathetically yeah. on their behalf like in this it's like it's like a, a almost a loving situation and the fact that he's mm -hmm. like being like it's the last of their kind etc it's like there is this undercurrent of sympathy to it that i just felt like it just needed to mm -hmm. get lifted up and then you don't Absolutely. kill it you don't kill the salt monster right mm -hmm. the salt monster goes back down bones develops a whole new uh synthesized salt thing so that they never run out like that would be the real, but you know, this was early days, obviously, first airing mm -hmm. episode, but it's like, it's so close. Well, maybe I'll change my opinion because throughout it was like, does it have the same message or tone as other Trek shows, even TOS, but yeah. I like y'all's interpretations. So maybe I'll have a lighter heart on it <laughs> going, going forward. Um, I will say, I think Uhura and Sulu carried the episode. Yes. As little as they were in this episode, I like every time I saw them, it made me happy. Yeah, that little exchange yeah, at the captain's chair with Spock in the captain's chair and like Uhura is just like, you know, joking around with him a little bit, very playful, very friendly. Um, and it's just, just like, it was like a chemistry test to be like, look at these two actors and how great they are together. Should we move on to Encounter at Four Point? TNG. If we must. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I think that's my opinion about it, too. It's good, but it's very much before TNG grew the beard. Yes, yeah. that's exactly it. it yes, that's a great way to say it. <laughs> yeah, it's not good TNG. I feel like it can be edited down yeah. to something. Yes. You're very optimistic, right. Stephanie. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think there's at out, least an hour's worth of meat. Yeah. Take out the holodeck scene. Yes. As much as it's hilarious, it's not needed like data, I love that scene. Like where it's they introduce Data and he can't whistle the right tune. I feel yeah. like if you cut the Wesley like slapstick gag, but they wanted yeah, to show Data was really physically strong. Um, but I'm right. like, you you could have done that at some other point. It would not have been hard to fit it in somewhere. But I think they did do a good job in that episode of introducing the characters in a way that wasn't like, here's Beverly Crusher and here is Riker. They're right. joining the ship. You know, they did yeah. a good job of like, you know, organically introducing everybody. But yeah. I will respectfully That's... disagree. You think? That... <laughs> 
because every other pilot does it 10 times better. I think DS9 and Voyager does it way better. Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I, I think the story of Encounter at Fall Point is good. I think they thought they could do more special effects than they could. Yes. And that's what I think brings it under. You know what I'm sad about is they show Q as like this three-headed serpent and that's like what they are somehow. And then they never go back. Like later in the Q episodes, they never go back to like the three-headed serpent thing. But I guess what they, I, I just want more there. Yeah, the Q are such a weird creation. Who came up with the Q? Does anyone know whose idea that was? Who's responsible for this? It was Gene's <laughs> idea. Oh yeah? That's I had, fun. I hadn't made a video about it, but I think it was maybe two or three months ago before um i think it was like maybe the first or second week of picard that um john delancey did a twitter space and the interviewer had asked him about um trelane was trelane supposed to also be mm, a q yes and he said no gene never intended for trelane to be considered a q he yeah. created the idea because he liked the idea of trelane but wanted to introduce a more regular omnipotent character and um created Q. It's fun. I mean, even though, like, sometimes I find the Q episodes, like, really insufferable, like, it's it's sort of like going to church to hear about, like, how humanity tries so hard to be better than we are. Uh, but, you know, I feel like they really wanted to, like, I don't know, it's the next generation, you know, mm -hmm. it's where no one has gone before instead of where no man has gone before, and uh, you know, I feel like they were like they were trying to be like we're doing the next step on it, and so we're gonna really like thesis statement. This is what we believe. This is our philosophy. These are our principles. Humanity was savage, but we're trying to be better than we are, and we're on trial. So I can we talk like about that the the change in the language? Because I found that that made it worse when they changed it from when they changed it to no one. They're going to places where people are like constantly right and yeah. when it was no man it was insinuated that they were talking about humans but when they yeah. say no one right. has gone before it, it feels really like oh we discovered america to me you know yeah very Christopher Columbus. It is. It yeah is it's very, very like 90 you know it's very like you know late 20th century liberal whitewashing yeah and, and also because there's no other good word using man is problematic Right. But not using man is problematic. It's like there's no way to win. And they decided what liberals always do is they're like, we'll just pick feminism. We'll pick women. White women. Yeah. So <gasps> never mind the weird erasure <laughs> that's going on here. I do like that even for an episodic series like The Next Generation, that there is a through line of Q's trial that mm -hmm. bookends the series. I think that's really right. nice. Yes. It's something that was lacking in TOS. Not that it needed it, per se. It's just a different format. But I like that that Q story is interwoven into the episodic story. Look who's joined us. Hello. Uh, requesting permission to come aboard. Uh, this is uh, Lieutenant Commander Morgan. Great. Hi, Commander. Uh, deeply apologetic for my tardiness. But uh, I hope uh, hope you guys are all doing okay. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> I think we were talking about the queue and how they bookend 
uh, the series and how overall it's a very episodic series, but that there is a through line, which is Q's trial. Does anyone want to add to that? I, I like how you call it uh, like a good thing, because I, I always felt like they were just doubling down on a shit pilot. <laughs> <laughs> yes! There's an element of that, for sure. I have my problems with the Q. I just doubling down on it. A bullshit trial where the like soldiers are doing drugs. I yeah. really suppose no one else likes to kill. Like I always view them as unreliable narrators. So like I don't yeah. think you're supposed to like them, but oh, no. that's yeah. why I like them. I, I like of chaos, and I love chaos. So I yes. do love I do love Q coming in and like wreaking havoc. I do like that element, but like he's just like so. Just the superiority, you know, just like just like the 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 entitlement to be like, yeah, you're like talking so much shit on us, but like you do this for fun, and I feel like that is kind of like well, the big fear, the big brain for the pilots is this that it's not just that they're big brains and they can invade our senses, but that they also are sadistic and do it for fun, like a cat with a mouse, you know, kind of thing. So it's like that fear of being a plaything. I feel like that was TNG was like really, really leaning into that human existential fear of being a plaything. Yeah, I think I think the Q character evolved a lot in in the Voyager series. Um, oh, yeah. He was he was a lot less omnipotently assholeish. Yeah, uh, I mean he still was, but like we got more levels with the Sun and and Quinn, and we got a lot more levels. Yeah, so, and, and their civil war partner. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, let's get into the queue instead of like the only time we ever encounter the queue is when Q is showing up with the upper hand. Because that's like TNG. He's he's always making it happen. I think you touched on it, uh, Stephanie, about talking about the chaos of Q in a show that is really very it's very structured and, and it's very it's built on order and rules and yeah. the Federation. And I, I've always enjoyed the character that just says, damn the rules. I'm changing reality all around you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't know how, how far we want to get into it, but, uh, you know, he, he had that incredible role in Picard season two that yeah. uh, was incredibly chaotic. And, so chaotic. Uh, and uh, again, I just think it's a great ju- juxtaposition in a show that is so formulaic and kind of rigid at times. Oh, yeah. The Enterprise and Picard himself is, like, so fastidious. Like, it's so perfect. It's so fastidious. It's, like, the height of Starfleet. It is ship-shape and bristle fashion all day, every day. Yeah, I think it opened Uh, the door wide for Deep Space Nine to come next because we really needed, like, the darker side of everything after TNG. Um, Not that I don't love it, but, you know. Palette cleanser. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Before we transition to that, I do gotta say... As much as I love her, Tasha really rubbed me the wrong way in this episode. Am I the only one? No, no yeah, I hate Tasha. Okay, thank she's God. Too, I felt too so bad. Oh, I can't stand her. I mean, she's not respecting the chain of command. She's just, like, not being as, I don't know, fastidious, I guess, as, a, you know, as yeah. chief of security. Like, she was, like, she was running really hot the whole episode. Great character, just not her episode. And it just, it, it made me upset that this is the first we get of her. Yeah, I hear you. It's sort of like, 
Marina Sirtis' performance, like, with the lines that she was given, was also a little bit tough. Like, she works her butt off oh, yeah. to make Troy work. But it's sort of like, it's like, there's just, like, a hint of cringe. So. Yep, that's Should why I bring up that, to... that. Yes, please, let's move on. <laughs> I, I don't like it. Oh, I don't, Encounter Farport's my so... least favorite. Let's move on to the emissary, which is Deep Space Nine's um, pilot. Woo! I I think this is my favorite pilot of of all the series. So good. Definitely, it's so my good. Favorite. They hit you know it. They just is, hit it. You know what I think is interesting is the cage starts off with Pike like being like he has that scene. I love this scene in the cage where he sits down with the doctor and the doctor's pouring him a drink and Pike's like, what are you doing? This is Starship. And he's like, you'll tell things to your bartender, you won't tell me. And he goes into this, like how Pike doesn't want to be captain anymore. That he's kind of done with Starfleet. Cisco does the same kind of thing in this that I think is kind of an interesting position with it starting out with him like coming to terms with his wife dying in War of 359 mm-hmm. and the destruction of the Saratoga and having to be, I, I think it's kind of a great connection kind of back to that original pilot. Right. I, I love the fact that they, they brought Picard in and he he's not mm-hmm. well liked. I, I, I this right. is the first time there were two shows on at the same time. So I think they mm-hmm. kind of needed to do that to sort of tie it in. But yeah. um uh, I love that Cisco is not a fan of Picard. Yeah. yeah. I love that. It shows the irrationality of his pain. It's like Anybody who was in Starfleet would, would I think, have rational understanding that he was assimilated and not himself. But irrationally, knowing that that conflict led to the death of his wife, he was so justified in expressing that anger. Mm-hmm. And the most respectful way he could possibly have been, he was curt with him, but he still was respectful in the, as much as he could have been. And Patrick Stewart's performance in that, like you can feel the uncomfortableness and the way like he does it is Absolutely. like in that ready room. That is an excellent scene because he's like, well, if you want to quit, I will find one. But they're both very, it's like the tension you can cut with a knife. Yeah. They were just like, let's yeah. show everyone how Avery Brooks has like hardcore acting chops. You guys think that Patrick Stewart's got some acting chops? Welcome Captain Cisco or Commander Cisco at this point. As someone who loves Picard as like a captain, I mean, not my favorite captain, but I really do respect him. I'm surprised Mm -hmm. at how easily they make me hate him from the get-go. Like, I think he did such a good job. He seems so pretentious in a way that is authentically him, Mm -hmm. but in a way that you just hate in the context of now you're rooting for Cisco. In TNG, you get to watch him come to terms with what happened. And then you get the flip side of everyone else judging him or forgiving him or not blaming him. You know, it's mm-hmm. I, I really like the continuity between the two series because he was dealing with the same feelings of I did this. Mm-hmm. Right. It's an excellent take on trauma from a couple of different viewpoints, I think. Yeah. Like and, and the cards. And just grief. Like, they were like, let's just yeah. get elbow yeah. deep in grief, this mm-hmm. this pilot. We talked about how in TNG, there was very much growing the beard that needed to be done, just in character-wise. That was not the case in The Emissary. Like, yeah. everyone just hit it out of the park from the beginning. Yeah. And there's definitely done episodes in season one of um, Deep Space Nine. But this just 
it's such a great episode just from the start and that was something that really surprised me yeah it seems like they really did a lot of the the hard development work in pre-production so that when the episode when they got to the episode and they wrote the episode it was highly finished like all the characters were highly finished there was no like in tng like they're trying to figure out like how emotionless is data you know what I mean? Like, yes. like Data had like the biggest change as they continued to, you know, batten him down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like right from the gate, like Dax is Dax, Julian is Julian, uh, Kira is Kira, every every you know Quark is Quark. It's like every everybody's pretty much themselves. Mm-hmm. Like Odo is like his is Rick Berman really hated masks and didn't want him to have a mask, even though Renee Abishwa was like, uh, I used to teach mask at Juilliard, so maybe shut the fuck up and give me a mask. <laughs> right. <laughs> but his character was on, like, you know, he was this, you know, gruff, kind of hard-boiled constable type. Like, everyone everyone was themselves in this one, which yeah. was yeah. really nice. Yeah, it, it, it felt pre-established. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, you were going in, seeing what was already happening. Where I think, of course, the original series pilot, like, really that was, like, this is completely new. We don't really know what's going on or what people will like. Um, TNG kind of was like, let's let's push it. Let's see if we can push it. And see if we can make people think about the human condition. Like, let's let's make them think and the emissary was like this is what it is like we're just this is advantage into this man's life going to this new station this job he doesn't really want with a son that he loves but he's sad because now he doesn't have his wife anymore this boy doesn't have his mother anymore like it really just feels like a day in the life but it's also still so emotionally explorative it's it feels the most alive to me. I think of of all of them. Alive is a great word. That is a, I had the exact same thought. That is a perfect word. Yeah. What's interesting about this one is uh, so back to Star Trek being wagon trains to the stars. This one's supposed to be like that uh, rifleman show. I, this is not my idea. I read this online somewhere sometime. Where instead of like them going out, you know it's a town that everyone's coming mm-hmm. to was kind of this mm-hmm. price that, and I remember when I was young and I was first watching when it came out, there's this, a, a dad of my friend who said, there's no way it's going to be good. Cause it's like Star Trek is going out and finding something. And I'm glad he was super wrong. Like, I think it's yeah. a really interesting, different take on kind of that Western idea of this town and who rolls in. Is it Dukat? Is it, yeah. you know, the dominion? Is it, I think Babylon 5 sort of established that it can work. And, I, you know, I've, I've heard varying accounts as to whether or not Babylon 5 had anything to do with the production Ooh. of Deep Space. Really? Land. But, yeah. I've had people mention that multiple times, especially when I first started my TikTok. People were like, um, we don't like Deep Space Nine because they stole that idea. And I was like, first of all, babe, like a space thing is not a new idea. Like, everyone relax. Like inspiration is inspiration and they take it from everything all the time yeah so i i myself have not ever seen babylon 5 but again the idea of a space station is not a new thing but i think the reason that it kind of had a weird reaction to people is like yes they're not going anywhere but that also made people think about what it means 
for you to explore yourself, not necessarily mm-hmm. space. You're doing that work, but you're doing it internally. And I think that as far as the comfortable comfortability of Star Trek is what people like is that they didn't have to think about themselves, even though that's obviously what the show has always been talking about is us. Um, but it made it more comfortable when they had different faces, when it was dealing with aliens, where everyone on um, Deep Space Nine, yes, they were different species, but it all was contextualized, I think, in the human experience. And so the emissary, starting with the human experience of loss, was a really adventurous, adventurous concept to start an entire series with. Yeah. Very much so. Deep Space Nine really goes, I think this is the first episode, the first pilot, I'm sorry, that really goes inciting incident. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is where yeah. the story starts, and there's no debating that. And you right. could kind of argue uh, counter at far points, because that's when the trial starts. But that that's really forcing a point that I don't yeah. think we need to. <laughs> And also the trial is humanity on trial. Like the the inciting incident, like, you know, for Deep Space Nine is like interspecies. It's uh, has galactic impact. Obviously, it's like literally two quadrants have been connected by this wormhole. Like, you know, and uh, it's it's just like a huge, massive uh, change. Like it changes everything from so many different facets. It's such a it's such a escalation from humanity on trial and, and it has a much more working class feel to it like oh, it starts yeah. with rom stealing shit like like it's really like like the station's kind of a piece of junk they're on this frontier of this like mm-hmm. post-war like this mm-hmm. occupation by Bajor. like it really has a much like the whole vibe just seems real and they even focus on that when avery is like i will help clean up the station and get it to what we want when he picks up the debris and it's like let's identify the fact that i'm here to work too just like everybody else yeah Mm -hmm. it's like he's having to actually kind of like do like selling the federation like so often everyone's like yay Mm -hmm. federation like he previously experienced a lot of very pro federation whereas like the bajorans are just like suspicious they're just like you starfleet motherfuckers you federation motherfuckers are not trustworthy you're like too good for you know you're too cool for school you're too good for this your hands are soft like you know it's it's like a very suspicious suspicious kind of thing and cisco like a lot of these other officers are kind of having to prove themselves maybe for the first time to be like Mm -hmm. no i'm not like soft and naive and useless you know just because Mm -hmm. you know i i just because i'm a human or just because i'm in starfleet so it's like there for the first time we're really having to see um, Starfleet officers like prove out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and al- also uh, to Jake's point about um, Nog stealing everything, I love that Cisco immediately blackmails. Yes, Clark. like he doesn't even bat an eye at how how 100%. not <laughs> that's, Starfleet that's, that is. Yeah, that's frontier logic. <laughs> that is. Know? That's just like why well, I have to build a community. And so you are you obviously have been a pillar of the community. And so it is in the interest of the system of Deep, Deep Space Nine that you stay. And uh, and we're not in a Federation of Starfleet environment. So the only thing that I have, I, I need leverage. Like, I, this is not a, like, this is not a diplomatic glad handing with Quark and, like, giving an inspirational speech 
about exactly. togetherness and community and selflessness. No, he's just like, no, Quark is a is a, is a criminal and a crook. Uh, he's right. only he's only going to stay out of coercion. And he's and the promise that he pays for a nothing. child. Yeah, like he was know, he was right? down <laughs> to imprison a child for this to work. Like I love yeah. it. Well, I you mean, that's a total bluff. Uh, that was a total bluff that no one believed yeah, because absolutely. because Starfleet officers don't bluff like that. That's the thing. Right. It's like no Starfleet officer would pretend to incarcerate a child. But Cisco's mm-hmm. like, results, you want them? Here they are. What I think I is interesting start- with Cork, let me finish this one thought, is yeah. he can choose. Like, we've got other people on the station. You have the Klingon restaurant. You have uh, Garrick's Tailor Shop. But uh, Cisco goes to Quark and he immediately thinks, okay, I need the vice place. I need the place with the drinking and the gambling and the hollow suit. So I'm going to build this space station and I need people, which means I need vice. Like that's, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I think it's a fascinating concept that he wants. That's the guy he needs. You need a bar. You go to a nice restaurant, Mm -hmm. you need the bar. Yeah, you need the saloon keep, the bar keep. If I can turn back to kind of the meta of, this episode they did a wonderful job introducing each character in a way mm-hmm. that feels so much more natural than encounter far point mm-hmm. um, they the the crew slowly comes on and it's just expected that transport trips come at different times and it gives each character room to breathe but yet it gets them all in the same place I really enjoy that aspect, but also it it does feel chaotic in a way mm-hmm. that makes sense and is true to Deep Space Nine. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, really does. Like Kira just comes in hot, doesn't she? Like she's yeah, right out the not. gate. She's right out the gate being like, this is bullshit. You are bullshit. And, right. and I'm the person <laughs> who is going to continuously tell you that it's bullshit. And then she burns Bashir for being a total, oh like, gosh. colonizer type mindset, you know, like yeah. frontier medicine of being like that. It's like this, it, it, it's a thing that is a Starfleet problem that, you know, this, that where you get, because you've lived so safely, because you've been right. so sheltered and you've lived such a safe, perfect life that you look at perilous situations with the eye of adventure, you know? Right. It's it's sort oh of like the God. most pampered people are like the most obsessed with like slasher horror, you know, because it's like <laughs> you've never feared for your life, you know, or I'm like, no, thanks. You know, where it's just like it's an imp- empathy disconnect. Uh, and so it's like so he's being like a sweet little puppy who's not thinking it through. And of course, he's getting the, the resistance terrorist Kira is the last person you want to drop that puppy business on. And she just she just cuts him a new one like Kira does all the time like it honestly the way she burns him there made me think of later on at the end when damar is talking about like mm-hmm. you know what kind of people kill children talking about his family and she's like yeah mm-hmm. i don't know what kind of people damar like right. that's like yeah so i feel like it's like it, it so it's like you oh. see her energy right at the beginning where yeah. she is she's gonna hurt you she will emotional damage yes and and contrasting it with the tng it doesn't even feel like you're being introduced to the characters. It mm-hmm. feels like you're just there. Right. That's that's yeah. sort of why when I said that that they really do a good job of introducing each character in in the TNG pilot, the, it it felt like I was being introduced to each character. 
in, yes. in Deep Space Nine, it feels like you're part of the chaos and you're just yes. figuring shit out who's who and whatever. So that's sort of the juxtaposition with the two. You do get to know all the characters, and I think Deep Space Nine does a better job of getting you to know the characters, but you're you're not being introduced to them really. Because it's not a handshake. You're, right. you're like when you like where you see Julian come off the transport and he goes to sick bay and he's looking around and seeing like you're getting to know him by seeing him do his job. It's like on the job training. It's like mm-hmm. let me see who these characters are by how they act in this episode instead of saying, Hey, I'm Julian, I'm the doctor. It's like clearly, boy, you're in the sick bay. Like we get it. Like you're obviously Dr. Julian, but you're like we but they do it hands-on instead of as like an exposition yeah immersion versus introduction right before i make us move on because they don't want us to be here all night um (laughs) i do want to ask what did y'all think of the prophet meeting because i think the ending is very impactful but it is so repetitive but you just got to get over that. That's the only low point of the episode, I find. Yeah. Which I think, like, it is repetitive, but I feel like that drives home yes. the gulf of being, like, these entities literally do not understand what linear time is. Like, it it's like, that's so sense. crazy. And so I feel like there's, like, the yeah. first time when, you know, when Cisco's talking to the prophet, who is as Jake, and they're at the lake, and he's like, you don't understand what linear time is, and he just uh, he just literally goes, like, like, he just has this, like, fist, like, every Brooks does a great job of just, like, this, of, like, how do I even start with people who don't understand what the concept of starting is? Right. You know? Yeah. It was just, like, it's such a huge undertaking to try to explain linear time to these entities, and it does feel repetitive as he's going over the same yeah. stuff over and over again. But I also think that that parallels uh, Jennifer, like, you know, yeah. how he's, like, you know, you exist here, you exist here. You exist here. You keep coming back here. You exist here mm-hmm. until he's, I exist here. And, oh, my God, Avery Brooks is, like, when he's breaking down and, like, crying, like, every single time, I'm just, like, just tears every time. Doesn't matter how yeah. many times. When he gets to that point, when he fully comprehends how clinging to his grief is completely contrary to everything about humanity that he's trying to explain to the prophets. Correct. Fuck! Because not only are they trying to listen to what you're saying, it's like, they're like, how do we interpret the concept of linear time based on what you're saying? But then they also try to read his mind. They're like, okay, well, this, the the imagery is what we're going by. And if we're reading your mind and your imagery is taking us here, then clearly you are not existing in linear time either. You are existing outside of that because you are living in this one moment where all of this trauma happened to you. So how can you be explaining it to us if you don't know how to do it? So mm-hmm. I, I, I like what it is and where it gets, but my monkey brain is just like, oh my god, make this stop. <laughs> yeah, um, right. I, I'm gonna make us move on to Caretaker. <laughs> okay. Um, caretaker! And I was under the impression this called it The Caretaker. It's not. It's just Caretaker. I, I don't know why that surprised me, but it did. Uh, but what did y'all think of the episode? I think it's fun that we get a little a little taste of Deep Space Nine before they go off. Like, just sort of a nod to the yes. pilot of, of Deep yes. Space Nine. And what, uh, what Stephanie said about 
totally be viewed as very soft and innocent. Mm-hmm. It's so funny that we get Harry and Quark because mm-hmm. those are the two most polarizing characters I think you could get. Right. And I I I think the caretaker just does so good with subtle characterization. Mm-hmm. Like Deep Space Nine, they just go all out while caretaker is just like we'll drop some scenes there you don't need everything right now but mm-hmm. they do such a good job with that in my opinion just a totally small detail i love that quark's leverage in the scam is using harry's racism against him being like oh like right. he, was, he was like you made a mistake like he mm-hmm. just immediately latched onto it of being like you were trying to be jokey jokey but actually, that was really racist, and I'm going to use your rules against you to be like, duh. So it was just like a nice, like it was kind of, oh, it was just kind of funny and kind of charming of being like, I'm going to appropriate your principles to coerce you out of your money. <laughs> and and I, I just really like that just because it's like, yeah, that is one of the things uh, that does kind of work against you. It's one of those things where it's like principles and scruples um, mm-hmm. are a vulnerability. And so it's just a little, little tiny, subtle thing. But I, I, I agree. It's like they are, they are going quite so hard. It's, it's trickling in. That one little tiny scene with Cork, it opens the door to so much that is consistent throughout the entire show. Whether it's Harry loving his mom, you know, because he's trying <laughs> to buy that stuff for his mom, and Paris being sort of the caretaker of Harry and his innocence, you know. Like the just that one tiny little scene encapsulates so much of what we're gonna love about the series. Yeah, about their relationship in particular, Mm -hmm. of just like of Tom being just like ugh, but like he can't, but he can't help it. It's it's the Starfleet in him that has the instinct to be like you know, like at that Simpsons episode with Homer protecting the pillar of sugar, like the strong must protect the sweet. I feel like (laughs) that is like Tom Paris is is just like this is my emotional support ensign and if anything happens to him i will kill everyone and then myself that's the one that they started with uh with the maquis with chakotay and and tuvok and balana that they started there and not with something starfleet they started with the maquis if this was a slightly more modern series they would have gone bigger with that set i really wish we 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 saw more of the maquis because that is such a crucial part of Voyager. And all we get is one trainer, Chakotay and Bolana. Yeah. Which is not much of yeah. the of the ethos we need to really root for the Maki. No, the only other Maki that we ever encounter are Seska, who was fake. Um, those like three Maki that end up getting like remedial training from Tuvok. Mm-hmm. Uh, or three or four of them, I can't remember. Uh, and Lon Suter, who yeah. would join the Maquis just to commit murder. Like, okay, so yeah. it's just sort of like, you know. And then obviously Tom was was Maquis for like a hot minute. Uh, but it, yeah, we it's like we get very little of them. And and I have like a lot of criticism of the Maquis, especially like you know human Maquis, or like I feel like you're just kind of like cosplaying freedom fighters like a bunch of colonists a bunch of colonizers cosplaying freedom fighters so i'd like to see yeah you're right i would love to see more of them because we only get a yeah we get a tiny taste if i remember correctly isn't the conflict between the maquis and the rest of the crew on voyager as the show goes on 
I feel like they just kind of iron it out real quick. They do. When they try to when they try to mix them together, there's like I don't know, like 15 minutes of arguing, and then Janeway's like, "Stop it, stop it," and then they're like, "Okay." We only get like a tiny bit of evidence of the conflict in Tuvok, you know, making like you know him exercising his writerly muscles to write that holodeck program, simulating a a Maquis coup. That was like, it seems like that was the only thing no one else seemed to really care. It was just Tuvok running simulations, but he didn't finish it, right? Like, he just, like, quit because everybody was behaving themselves. Once Chakotay settled into being first officer, I feel like Which everyone was like, fine. Yeah. He sure does. The only scene I can think of, and Voyager's, Voyager's my favorite. Like, I love Voyager. Like, Janeway's my jam. Um, is there's a scene where Seska, Seska, right? The mm-hmm. She's stealing like food, and like Chakotay gets pissed, and he punches her and everyone. She else steals it to make him soup. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. To make him soup. That's like the only real conflict you see. Like it's that, and then Tuvok's bit where he makes the program, yeah. and then after that, they all just kind of hug it out, I guess, off screen. Yeah. I don't really. And like even right. Bolan, like, yeah. right? Even Bolana's Bolan- conflict is ascribed to her Klingonness. It's just cool. racism. Basically, yeah. like, Bolana is a yeah. hot-blooded <laughs> Klingon Latina. Which also, 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 we have to get to the racism in this pilot. <laughs> yeah, here we are. <laughs> as natural as it's gonna come. Um, yeah, so, Tom Harris has some shit. Tom Harris, I feel like, is, like, some kind of weird self-insert. Like, I don't know, maybe it's like a Rick Berman self-insert, but he's like a boomer fanboy with his Captain (laughs) Proton bullshit and his cartoons and his, you know, old-style movie theater and his trucks and his whatever the F. Like, he's just, like, he's just there to convince, like, you know, aging white men that their their interests will be relevant in the 24th century for some reason. <laughs> the only logical thing I can conclude is that we lost like decades and decades of good digital data after the 20, you know, after the Third World War, and so we only have like stuff right. before like the year 2000 or something. There's so much like intense racism of, and like uh, about indigenous cultures, obviously, like Chakotay's whole native thing where he's just like an amalgamation. Oh of a bunch oh. of different tribes and also a fake tribe that were Correct. inspired by white aliens like and it's like and then and jack marks the, the consultant that they got jack marks was his real name he'd been debunked as a fake indian for like 10 yes. years and they still hired really? him for voyager yeah he'd been oh busted like 10 years earlier somebody had asked me to make a video about that and i was like i'm gonna not i don't think I'm not gonna do that. it's rough I didn't yeah. know that either. It, I no, mean, thank I, God Robert yep. Beltran is so good and charming and handsome, right? I could just be like, uh, just Chicote, you're so pretty, just keep talking. I mean, the racism wasn't even just in the writing, but in the casting as well. Yeah. Because um, Harry's name is t- Korean, but he's supposed to be Chinese, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, and like, Robert is Mexican, but you have him playing a Native American, like, I'm going to real Chinese in, in the acting doing? game. Like, you can't hire nobody. I'm like, I love Garrett. You know what I'm saying? I feel Garrett. Um, it's not his fault. But also, they weren't even yeah. trying. They were like, you're tan. Let's go with it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You're tan. Yeah. You know, hey, Mexicans, mm-hmm. they're like Native American too, aren't they, right? Well, you know, like, come on, white Voyager writers. 
when he he said those things explicitly, I'm just like, this is the worst part of the episode. Like, if if you don't like yeah. the episode based off of that scene, I would understand. Yeah. Um, but I overall, I thought this episode felt most like a Star Trek episode mm-hmm. that happened to be a pilot. Like, right. Right. Like, Emissary, and like you have to watch that first. Caretaker, even though the inciting incident happens, I think you could watch it and enjoy it anywhere in your watch of Voyager, if that makes sense. The tone is very Voyager all the way out. Yeah, very consistent. They also, like Deep Space Nine, did the the prep work. They worked out the characters. Can I say one more comment about Tom Paris? Yeah, he no, would, no. you might have to edit this, he would totally be a Civil War reenactor. As someone who's participated <laughs> in that community, Tom Paris has all the annoying traits. He would do it. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd probably be pretty good at it, but it'd be annoying. Ugh, uh, also, Tom I Paris. find it so interesting how his story mixed with his friendship with Harry, like just my mute, because they don't really talk about it at all, but it mirrors Michael and Tilly so much in a way. Yes. Is that just me? I, I just found that interesting on the rewatch. And of yeah, course, they don't yeah. go into Tom's, like, traitor side that much. But I'm like, if they did, this would just be Michael and Tilly. Yeah, grumpy one and sunshine one. Yeah. yeah. I never thought of that, but you're so right. You're absolutely yeah, correct. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Good point. Um, and I really wish we saw more of Primal Neelix. I'm not a big Neelix person. No. He's mostly awful, but when mostly he awful. Leaves, when he leaves, there's like a, there's like a sadness though, and I don't know why, because I I yep. hate him and Kiss. He's so annoying on purpose. Like his character's annoying. I think it's I think it's his uh his relationship with Naomi that finally makes me be like, all right. He's okay. But then, you know, that, that his last episode, um, when he makes Tuvok dance, mm-hmm. uh, like, I don't know why yeah. that always makes me go, oh. Same. My favorite Neelix moment, there's a scene, I think it's the one where Belana like, gets, goes to Stovacor or something. It's kind of a weird episode. And she's, like, being super mean. Mm-hmm. And he sits down at a table, and he's like, if you need to yell at someone, if you need to verbally abuse someone, I'm here for you. I am down to clown for that. Like, it's the sweetest <laughs> moment. Like, he's like, and I feel like of all the people, Neelix is going to take it the most personal. So he's the wrong choice. But I love that he puts himself out there and just, so he has, there's not very many, but these are these moments where I'm like, oh, Neelix, mm, maybe I don't hate you. Know, you. He, and then the next moment, I hate him. I'll give him credit um, that he fits in Starfleet in, with Starfleet because he is absolutely a tryhard kid. You know, yeah. like he's all about that full effort, throwing down, doing what needs to get done, working hard. And I can respect that. I, I think I just like I find a lot of the mannerisms and the funny noises that the actor makes here and there just like a bit much where I'm just like, I feel like it's like they take it just a little too far. And the sort of like he's supposed yeah. to be comic relief, but he's not a clown or a cartoon. <laughs> You know, so it's like sometimes yeah. I felt like you guys are just like kind of disrespecting Neelix yeah. and disrespecting, you know, right. the actor. I'm blanking on his name, but, you know, Ethan Phillips. Yeah, Ethan Phillips. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like, God, I feel like you're doing Ethan Phillips dirty a lot and like making him like really mm. just do super cringe things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he is. Um, he does friend. so many cringe things. 
That's why I love his first line because it's like, what steak do you have to my salvage? And like, yeah. that's the most like range we see out of Neelix out of yeah. most of the series. Yeah, I mean, he's pulling a caper to try to like save Kess and everything. Like he's like, he's he's the Neelix pre-Voyager. That's mm-hmm. the thing I feel like we don't see this transition where it's like, he was a really different dude at the beginning, like, when this episode happened, and his whole life changes when he and Kes get to stay mm-hmm. aboard Voyager, so he kind of, like, becomes, like, the maybe the guy he always wanted to be, you know? Like, right. maybe he always wanted to be this chef guy. Maybe this is the sweet, goof weirdo that he always wanted to be and never got to be. And so, I don't know, maybe if I'd seen more of him as his previous self, like, I would have more appreciation for the, the man that he is in the series, Ooh. but I so often am yeah. just sort of, like... You know, I don't know. When and whenever I'm watching it with 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 people, like I feel like we're constantly roasting Neelix. And at the end of the episode, I'm just like, I'm sorry, dude, I roasted you so hard this whole episode. No, but I I think in comparison for for most of the episodes, most of the characters, I mean, in the pilot, we all just kind of see them go through this group trauma, mm-hmm. and then kind of have to grow from there. Whereas Neelix didn't go through that, but he still comes in kind of like I I just am here if you guys want to take me with you it's better than where I came from you know what I'm saying we come to learn he doesn't have family his planet is desolate all of these things about him but he actually I think grows as a character like a lot of people have Mm -hmm. commented on many of my Neelix videos that they hate the way that he was with Kess and that's why they didn't like him um, I am a Neelix apologist. I love Neelix as a character. <laughs> I think he's fantastic. And I think he speaks a lot to his, um, he is the product of the things that have happened to him. And he's really yeah. just doing his best to yep. not drop the ball. I mean, and you kind of see that after he dies and he tries to put on this brave face, but really he's terrified and sad because one, he didn't go to the afterlife like he thought. Plus, he's technically still dying. Like, if they didn't keep up the the treatment with the nanoprobes, like, he could have still died. Like, he's holding on for dear life. And even in the midst of that, he still works very hard to be there for other people because he didn't have anyone other Mm -hmm. than Kess once he found her. He was alone for all of that time, trying trying to keep up face and be this gregarious guy. It's like, how many people do you know that keep a brave face or are the life of the party, but those people are all depressed and on antidepressants. That's yeah. how I feel about Neelix is he's kind of like, you see him come from this really ratchet. I mean, there's no really, really other way. He comes from this kind of happenstance life into essentially the lap of luxury. It's like I found my way onto this starship and these people are great and they're going to care for me and care about me no matter what my past was. They don't even know who I was. He kind of feels undeserving and that's why I think initially he tries so hard. This is mm-hmm. not a Neelix podcast, but I could talk all day about Neelix. Um, I'm, <laughs> I, I uh, you see it too when they get to the, the edge of space that he knows about. You really see exactly. those. I stole it, Kara. I'm so sorry. I, I was going to say the same thing. You're absolutely right. You see it. Oh, when he's like, I don't know what I'm, or if I have any value. And you see exactly. this, yeah. the trauma his, from his. His desperation to be relevant when they get to the expanse. Uh, it's it's so real. And But Ray, I'm with you 100%, except I don't 
feel like it's okay if you have trauma and you need to work through it. I absolutely, but it does not excuse anything. You're still 100% responsible for your actions. And so that's where I find like a lot of people who will talk to me about Neelix because I'm, I'm outspoken about my hatred for Kess and, and Neelix because I love Kess. Anyway, I'm oh, outspoken about that. I do. Love, I love Kess. I love Kess's really? voice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we got maybe not here, but someday I want to hear why you love Kess. Um, okay. We can, <laughs> we can do we'll a whole do a whole episode on it. Yeah. Yes. Oh my Kess gosh, please. Let's talk all this day. episode. Kess was such a girl boss in this episode. She, she was. Absolutely. Was, and she's anti-establishment, anti-God. She's like questioning everything. She's, she's go oh my everything. God. And, I love her. Yeah. Total revolutionary. She she and Neelix were the people that Voyager needed to pick up in the Delta Quadrant. Like they huh. locked out hard. They were the best people for the job and they really contributed mm-hmm. to Voyager. And and I thought it was really smart. Like it was really smart of them to do that, to immediately give Voyager guides. Like narratively, metatextually, it was really smart to be like, you need more than one. You need two. I thought that was pretty anyway, smart. Yeah. I'll rethink Cass. Y'all convinced me. Back up a little bit and talk about the wonderful horror element of this episode. Yeah, like I was so <laughs> terrified in the hospital scene. Like yeah. I forgot that was in there. Yes. And like I like they did such a good job with the tone setting. And like Voyager has a lot of horror uh, episodes. Like yeah. I think it was such a genius yes. idea to bring in that aspect into the pilot yeah Mm because they do it a lot they really like like body horror medical horror on voyager and so they were like testing the waters with it it's not the darkest shit that they do obviously they like peel a dude's face off of him and put him on another guy's body like you know they go hard on the vidians but and so this was like kind of like easing you into the level of horror that voyager was going to bring to the table and it's pretty terrifying like it's yeah it's messed um, up. So it's kind of funny that Terry and Bellana, who are two of the most traumatized characters throughout the whole avoidance. Yes. They just yeah. can't win. They're, it's always like them. from the beginning. They're the Miles O'Briens of this ship, which is hilarious because the entire Voyager crew is Miles O'Brien. Like, the whole show is just, like, the torture yes. Miles O'Brien show. Woo! But it's a it's a really solid pilot. It really does be yeah. like this is what the show is gonna be, and this is what we're gonna do. And here's everyone, and pay no attention to Kate Mulgrew's wig. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, it's the it, worst it, wig it, of all time. I don't think it's it as really good is. as the emissary, but it feels sure. much more natural of an episode. If that makes I, sense. I'll say, I think. That the the good thing about the pilots that we've talked about so far is they they each of them feels very much like their show. Mm-hmm. Like yes. you know what I'm saying? They don't feel out of character for what you will be seeing once you keep watching. Um the emissary being so emotional, so deep, so reflective is absolutely the beginning point for that show. And the caretaker saying we're kind of our backs are up against the wall and we've got this huge hardcore badass chick at the wheel who's going to make sure everything 
that she can prevent is prevented and everything that she has to work through, she's going to be there making sure everyone gets through as best as possible. So I think in that case, because she was hands on boots on the ground trying to figure out what's happening. Why are we stuck here? How can we help you? Like, have you, like, how often do you see they're like, I want to help whatever this godlike thing is that has brought us all the way across the galaxy. And clearly you're in desperation. Something has happened to you. How can we help this so that we can fix you and go home? Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. Janeway's the ultimate crisis captain. Absolute galaxy class crisis captain. Like she's just like, she's hard. She loves the science. She's a, a, a great combat captain, great fighting captain. And, but also like really stubbornly diplomatic, you yes. know, and she like digs her heels in and be like, no, we're not fighting our way out of this one. Sorry, yeah. everybody. Sorry, everybody. We're not. Uh, and they're like, damn it, but you're so good at that. And she's like, I know too bad. I'm good at this too. So it's just, uh, yeah, she's the woman for the job. Should we move on to Enterprise Broken, broken Bow or is it Broken let's Bow? Let's do it. So, it's Broken Bow. Okay. Yeah, broken let's bow. do it. Let's do it. Ray, I feel okay. like you might be our, like, uh, Enterprise expert. You've done the, like, um, most content I've seen on Enterprise, which is all great content. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I love the series. It's a train wreck, but it's wonderful. <laughs> yes. I think it perfectly blends the old pilot and the new mm-hmm. pilots. Yeah, but it's a transitional. You can definitely see, yeah, you can see the through line of the storytelling with Broken Bow. Yeah, it's just a good job of feeling new, which is what it's supposed to feel like. It's like, yes, we're going to trip a lot, and we don't really know. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, we we don't know anything about this species that we're trying to help or any of the ones that they come across. It really feels like they're bumbling. And I think that could have worked for the series because the pilot was strong. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. And showing that they're like, we don't know what's going on, but we're going to try. We've been training to interact with new people and new things and learn all of these, like, skills. But they hadn't actually had the ability to exercise those skills. Where that is where I kind of, I love it. I actually just started rewatching Enterprise, like, two weeks ago. So I'm on, like, season two now, I think. And you see in this episode, he's, like, not only, I think, trying to convince his crew that they're ready or to Paul because to Paul was like honestly I don't know what you're still doing out here you're failing at this mission super hard why don't you just go home he was also trying to convince himself that Mm -hmm. he was up to the job it's like yes you trained and you thought you were prepared for this and that also has the legacy situation to it he wanted to do a good job because he didn't want to feel like he let his father down um uh, this, it's a good it's a good beginning episode for this series. Yeah, I feel like. Can I ask who remembered this episode out of the crew? I watched it today. I watched it. Oh. I like Enterprise for what it is, and I mm-hmm. I will rewatch it every once in a while. It's not it's not in the general rotation, but I do I do watch the series. Um, I, I recently met the cast, and so I rewatched mm, it immediately right. when I got home because I love them. They were they were really wonderful in person. But I feel like this pilot, 
because we had the break and this is like a reintroduction mm-hmm. to Star Trek being on television. I feel like it was a really weird place to go with the storytelling of this sort of like universe, right? Because now we've we've seen uh, what happens when alien races um, become warp ready and we've watched mm-hmm. first contacts before and now we're seeing it from our perspective, like mm-hmm. uh, like from the Earth's perspective. And God, could we be more self-important about it? Sure. Like every other sure. race that's like new to space is like, please help me learn. Like I, I want to, you know, know what's going on. And we're just like, these Vulcans, you know, like yes. it's so weird. And it, I, <laughs> I, I'm sort of like in the camp of the Federation is full of shit. Um, and and this series just solidifies that for me. I love it for what it is, but cool. but man, how self-important can you be when you're brand freaking new to mm. a, a situation that is fully in existence? Like like there are multiple multiple yeah. races that are out there doing their thing, and you're brand new to this. Whatever. Yeah, that's my. Brand I feel like for this today. is like a metatextual <laughs> failure. I feel, I feel like. I mean, this was a Rick Berman baby. He wrote like 35 episodes. And like, so I feel like him and Brennan Braga were like, we want to see ourselves in the captain and all of these humans. We want to see ourselves. But unfortunately, they were these like gross middle-aged white guys. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like, for instance, like all of the anti-Vulcan racism is also like toxic masculinity. Like they're just like racism, but toxic masculinity also. Like, it's so weird. Like, Archer, like, threatens to hit to Paul. Like, what? Oh, sure. He threatens to hit her in front of, like, like multiple, like, ambassadors uh, and shit. All, and, they're all men in that room other than her. Everyone is amazing. And he yeah, just threatens to hit her just because she, yes. like, had the audacity to be, like, critical. Like, he couldn't even handle even the slightest no, amount of criticism. Yeah. And that dinner <laughs> that he and Trip have with Paul, where they're having these, like, gross, well-done steaks, yeah. you know? Yeah. And are just, like... It's just yeah. like, I'm just like, we get it. You really want these, want us to be like, oh, I recognize these red-blooded American men in Bush's America. And so it's just sort of like, it's so weighed down no. by that. Like, I'm like, we really didn't need all this anti-Vulcan racism. It's funny. It was not necessary. I was literally thinking the same thing. I'm like, this is the most American human of yeah, all of no, the. Definitely. Yeah. And I'm definitely oh not forgiving what they do. But at the same time, the Vulcans are annoying. And yeah. they are very parental, even to a toxic level. Yeah. And so part of me kind of, under, like, not the masculinity part, but, like, part of me understands why they are so against the Vulcans. Because they're, mm-hmm. they're not good yeah. for... It's like that. there's one thing to be, like, frustrated and contentious, and another to right. be, like, you know... Yeah, ambassador exactly. pointy ear or whatever just like casually throwing yes. out slurs and like threatening yes. to hit people it's just like they just like took it in a direction instead of it being Definitely. like this is contentious and like you think you're so superior to us and we have a chip on our shoulder to try to figure mm-hmm. that out and and Definitely. it's kind of interesting later on that they're like uh like the Vulcans haven't unlocked all of the teachings of uh Sarak mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. they haven't unlocked all of his teachings yet and like the mind meld is still taboo. And so it's like, they're not the, the Vulcans that we know either, but mm-hmm. I feel like they don't really show their work on that in the pilot. Like there's a lot of stuff that's no. just sort of like, that comes across just sort of like, just- uh, It's like someone who wrote this show was like, oh, well, we've seen the 
previous series of Vulcans and they're all kind of stuck up and pretentious. It's like, okay, well, you just made a very vast and well-defined species in the franchise, a one-dimensional trope. That's my that's my biggest thing about the Vulcans in this series, especially as emphasized in the pilot, is they're so flat. They're just arrogant jerks. It's like, why yeah. did you spend 100 years on this planet if you were going to be jerks to us this whole time? Like, if you came here to think you were doing something, like, let's interact with other spacefaring species. That's originally the concept we learn is the point of first contact. That's why they come to Earth is they... They identify a warp signal. It's like, so they come to Earth and they spent all this time here. And um, what is it? Saval says to um, the Admiral that he is like, oh, well, you guys used to listen to us. And it's like, at what point do you stop lecturing and start teaching? Because clearly they're stating they want to learn and not just be lectured to. It's like, mm-hmm. at some point, let's try and put what you've taught us or what you're thinking you've taught us into action, but you're tying our hands yeah i i love that you said that ray because basically they hit copy paste of Sarek and just pasted it all over enterprise yeah every book in the Sarek. yes that's like that's jolene blaylock is a saving grace as an actor because it's like she's like really really good at like expressing a range of things on her face while being like mm-hmm. while being like to- very very stiff very unmoved Mm-hmm. Um, she's great. I mean, I feel like she is like the uh, oh, had the kind of same Jerry Ryan effect, you know, where they like hired her for the tits, and then mm-hmm. they were, it was like, oh shit, actually the tits are attached attached to an amazing person and an incredible actor. Correct. Score. So, they like, wrote into a corner though, and that like did. I I love to Paul, but and I I mentioned this like you said Stephanie uh, because Jolene who was a fan of Star Trek, was excited to play a Vulcan. And she, by the end of the series, she was so unhappy with what they did to her character. And like, if you understand Vulcans, she she should be upset. It's like, I have the chance to be this amazing character. And somebody had actually commented this on my my one video about her. It's like, I'm like, because I think I said she could have been iconic or revolutionary. I'm like, as like the first kind of fully realized Vulcan female that we see um, with a major part that they played her into the ground and turned her into a I want to be more human trope. Gross. Gross. Something I find interesting about anyway. this this uh, episode, uh, this pilot, I should say, is it wants you to believe that it's about the, you know, Klingon and um, them finding him and all this. But it's really, it's really about to Paul wanting to be on Enterprise. And right. I, I was watching it like thinking I don't really like where the story is going until I realized, oh, this is actually character driven. Yeah, and that really surprised me, and also the um the fact that it has to set its place in time, and the other mm-hmm. ones didn't yeah. have to do Mm-mm. that. So it really is doing the heavy work of establishing character, establishing time, and also trying mm-hmm. to appease people with this action narrative, which mm-hmm. doesn't really do anything, if you yeah. ask me. I feel like that that you describing that also kind of sounds like describing the uh, pilot for 
Discovery. Well, so should we move on to Discovery? Yeah. Uh, Vulcan, hello. So, oh my gosh. Um, this might be my favorite pilot. Like, okay. I, I love the Emissary, but this has rewatch value. Like, hmm. I hated this. I might episode. agree with you. I, I hated this episode first time I watched it. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I don't understand what's happening. I don't know any of the crew. But we watching it, you there's so much character dynamics. And because the characters on Discovery grow so much, mm-hmm. it's much more fun looking back on a Vulcan Hello. I, and I, there's I much more of you. a journey. Like, I feel like the pilot almost would have been great if it actually, if the series had started with episode two, and then the pilot was, like, a flashback well deep into, like, season one or something to be, like, seeing where everybody comes from. Because it's, like, so weird to see, like, Michael Michael and Saru fighting, and, like, Michael kind of sucks, and uh, her relationship to Giorgio is really twisted, and it's, like, this is why we need counselors on the bridge, because this this mommy thing that we've got going on is not right. It's unhealthy. I think when uh. she was, when she's on the transport and they ask her who she is or they realize who she is, and then it's like, well, and then they kind of do the flashback, and that's when they do that episode. Yeah. I think the first time I had watched the the, the pilot episode, the um, first season, really, I, it was kind of a uh, jarring and i've seen since i've watched the whole series so far that i've rewatched i'm what i rewatched season two three times season three and four both twice already but i when i just went back and rewatched season one like i skipped season one on my last rewatch but it works better i think it does a better job of establishing the series almost once you've already seen the series and you go back and watch it Exactly. I don't yeah. think that it necessarily does its job. It, it does a good job of establishing the characters, but not necessarily the series until you've already seen it. it yeah. once, I, once I finished season four and then I went back and I started over season one, I was like, oh my God, I don't think I realized how good this was. I loved it the first time, but it's actually excellent. And when you're watching the whole first season from that jumping off point, you're like, these characters are so different by season yes. four, and it's hard to notice that unless you rewatch season one. It's so subtle, and I almost think that's more in line with character development than it is when you see such a drastic change in some of the some of the other series. Yes. This one really starts with these are really ground level new characters. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Discovery was like, all right, this is, you know, we're we're doing a different kind of television. Like mm-hmm. we're going for, uh, we're we're we really are gonna go explore some some new stuff in terms of like really going for this character development. Um, I know it's controversial. Like, I mean, I I'm it's not controversial. It's just some people are dicks. But I love <laughs> the Discovery Klingons. I thought yes. that first scene with Takuma, I thought all the hard work they did with the Klingon language was incredible. The aesthetics, that yeah. whole first scene with Takuma is perfect. I love them. 
they're amazing. My only issue with them is the subtitles do not work. I need oh subtitles God, right. and I can't read them. <laughs> exactly. Ah. The, the subtitle because I keep my captions on as all the time. Yeah. And so that's the that's the harder thing is one the font that's in show the in show font is impossible for my brain to read like I just can't yes. see it and really? but it's hard to also read the um closed captioning because it's mm-hmm. right over top of it like mm-hmm. I've made my closed captioning bigger and so that it's a it's a matte black it's not translucent like some closed captioning is translucent but I'm like I can't see this so sometimes it's hard for me to follow I'm like I have to make mm-hmm. sure I pay attention um when those scenes are on when they're speaking in language I, I actively had to pause it and like read yeah. and then let it play and then pause it and read it was yeah it's pretty bad and it goes pretty quickly too so yes yeah uh, the flip but side, other than that i love the new thing is that paramount plus get on that paramount the, plus on the flip side this is the first star trek with audio description so that's that's fine right oh, cool. and yes. also if you turn on audio description during the klingon scenes it reads the subtitles out loud so oh. that's fine oh. so i might have to try uh, that yeah. Yeah. So, um, something I also found interesting, they only establish Jojo, Michael, and Saru, and we know what happens to Jojo. So mm-hmm. I, I really respect how they dial back on introducing characters. One thing about having, like I said, just rewatched it is the lack of faith that it looked like Jojo had in her, like. She's not a hothead. Like, she was raised on Vulcan. So she comes back and she's been basically out cold for the last three hours. And she's on the bridge. Like, first of all, what's going on? There are Klingons. No one's seen them, Michael. Why are you disbelieving her? If there was anyone else who showed up, you might believe that they were confused or disoriented. But her, I would have no no confusion. She's clear-headed. She came from sickbay knowing she was still ill to make sure she did the right thing by the ship. And it's like, why wouldn't you believe her that they were Klingons? Maybe it's because of her, like, history with Klingons, you know? Like, they're later on flashing back to her, like, not being able to complete her Vulcan lessons because of the PTSD over the the Klingon fight. So maybe Georgia was just like, is this, like, injury plus your trauma? Because I know that Vulcans aren't really big on, like, therapy so it's like you know and she's obviously like so like her relationship to michael is very like protective and very very like motherly in a way that i think is super problematic and i think maybe that was like part of it like coming out of this like being like i don't don't know it's like it's not gaslighting it's uh, so much as it is sort of like infantilizing maybe if i can tag on to that because i'm reading the discovery novels um oh okay and very much is that type of relationship and also michael talks out of turn a lot like she's she's Mm. vulcan but in a way that's pretentious sometimes and Mm -hmm. saru does the same thing you can even see on the bridge in the first episode how they talk over each other like there's a very loose sense of command not only because they are rivals Mm -hmm. but also we have to think this is federation in its wild west stage anything that goes on a cook ship is totally okay to go down a jojo ship like yeah. we are still 
very much. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, uh, Jojo, she's a very nice woman, and she's a great captain, but very out for time. And, you know, will break the rules if she needs to. Yeah, but a very interesting episode overall. One thing I don't like is as much as I think it's original, putting the Starfleet Delta in the sand, there's no way they could have seen that. And that suspended my disbelief so much. Yeah. So much. It's that's a style over substance kind of yeah, moment. Definitely. You know, where they're just like, this will be a really great visual. It'll be a really fun little and that's like a classic kind of Starfleet move, the like, you know, responding to an extreme situation with an analog solution, like a really basic physical type of solution. So it's like it's thematic. It hits a lot of it hits so many of the themes and the tropes nicely, but yeah. So what series should we talk about next? Uh, which one was next? Was it Lower Decks that came next? Um, yeah. Lower Decks just drops you in, it might, but I don't know even it know does. the episode name. Yeah. It's called Second Contact, so I, yeah. I actually looked them up. And yeah. it really, like, this is the epitome. Like, I know you, you were saying, like, Voyager could kind of happen anywhere in the series. Like, like this is literally just an episode. They were like, this is a show. Like, this is the first episode, go. And yeah. it, it's like, you really, you, like, you get to see the characters. They are a little bit heightened in that first episode, but it's pretty much just a regular episode. Yeah, the Which only are, difference I, is that I Tendi like. is, like, newly assigned to the Cerritos. Right. But that's it. It's only one newbie. Everybody else is pretty well established. It's really, like, pretty nicely done. But it's like, they, I feel like they did a really good job taking advantage of the freedom of animation to do, you know, crazy effects. Like, no, we yeah. can't have, like, a crazy spider like a crazy giant spider like flinging this guy in the air like you know and this the zombie virus like they really took advantage of what the format offered them yeah um and and took advantage of have of hiring a bunch of comedians to do yeah. the voices exactly. a bunch yeah. of super talented some of my favorite like all all comedy scene podcast scene comedians yeah um Tawny Newsom as Mariner. She does. A, I don't know if the Star Trek podcast that she did with Paul Topkins is back or not, but yeah, she was on it. She's great. But it's so it's, fast. I feel like maybe it's a little bit yes, fast. Yeah. Yes. That's what I was gonna say. I was like, I think this is the the first one where really I don't think I got a grip for the show because it was like so quick. Like I almost felt like I needed to catch my breath. And when I first started watching the show, it had already been out for a while. So I was like, okay, I'll watch the show. And I, I binged like five or six episodes. I was like, I honestly don't know what I'm watching. Like, is this a serious show or is this going to be really hardcore? <laughs> like it was like, it was so good and different, but like one episode, I don't think you can get a good feel for the show. I don't until like at least halfway through the first season, you're like, okay, they're really doing something here. Um, so let me make sure I can go back and rewatch those and then keep going because I'm like, I needed to get a feel for what was happening. And one episode does not do that for this series, I don't think. No, I'm a stupid. Yeah, it's only a 30 a minute episode or something. They're, they're half, this, half the length we're used to. For yes, if I can yeah. go off that real fast because Discovery was only 45 minutes. And mm-hmm. every pilot before this 
was two hours. was either the shortest one was an hour, and that was the man trap. Everything else was an hour thirty. Right. So very interesting. I am such a sucker for the fan service in that show. Like every oh, time sure. I squeal, it's so I'm so excited. It's ridiculous. It is I love, just ridiculous. I love how hard they leaned into the dorkification of Starfleet, right. you know, of just being like Rutherford is just like Rutherford and Tendi are just such hardcore dorks and they love oh it. God. And there's and it's like the, <laughs> the passion for a level two diagnostic. It's just like that for me is like embodying how I feel when people are like, oh, well, if we didn't like force people to work under threat of poverty, then no one would do the janitorial work. No one would do these jobs no one wants. And I'm like, motherfucker, people like to clean. Like, you know, it's just like people like to do level two diagnostics. I follow like 10 cleaning pages. These people are like, let me show you this fresh new scrub daddy. Okay, like people were clean. Okay. They yeah, and that, I feel like this show is like really capturing that of being like, you know, these kids are so excited to like, you know, physically pump a heart or like, you know, fix a diagnostic in the middle of a crisis situation or do five vlogs a day. Yes. You know, it's just like, it's this idea of like their Starfleet people are just. At just so hardcore into it. There's an episode later where Rutherford is like going to different departments. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I think maybe I want to leave. And they set it up so that you think everyone's going to be mad. But yes. then everyone's like, that's great. Good for you. And it's like happy. You found what you and like. It, like it's you so loved so it. So We're so happy for you. Change. Right. And it's like that. I'm like, this is the spirit, the, the super dorky, embarrassing spirit of Starfleet that is like, what makes everyone roll their eyes at us. And then, of course, Boindler is, like, a super fan of yeah. all the different captains, and he's got their, like, oh memorabilia and, like, collector's don't, plates and stuff like that. Don't forget Tom Paris. Yeah, he's... Yeah. <laughs> Tom Paris plate. Oh, so great, yeah. Boindler. I'm sorry. Going back to the pilot, I, I think it's... They had a difficult job because part of me feels right. like they dug too deep into the kind of characters of Mariner and Boiler. Some of it hmm. feels forced um, in the way as characterization felt more natural in later episodes, but they kind of had to do it because it's a pilot, but yeah. it, it, it's, it, it was a difficult line to be drawn of how much comedy versus characterization should they have done. I think that they that they did a good job at least initially with those two characters because you kind of learn throughout the series that they are very much who they were in that pilot episode where both Boimler and Mariner are forces of nature in their own right. He's like, first of all, these are the rules and the rules are my jam. Like, stop breaking the rules. The rules are there on purpose. And Mariner's like, literally... Who cares about the rules? The rules are there for people who can't make up their mind and make decisions. I make decisions. I'm a make it happen person. And he's like, okay, I don't know how these two people are best friends, but sure, let's go with it. It's a real classic odd couple kind of trope. Yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is like Star Trek too, of just being like, you know, these yep. odd companions. Like they did it in DS9 with Julian and Miles. And, yep. and, and, and it's sort of like, you know, 
it's it's the thing I think it's the sort of thing about like you get assigned you don't pick your assignments necessarily mm-hmm. and you get stuck with who you get stuck with and and that and that is part of the thing about going out into space is that you encounter people and you become friends with people that you never thought that you would have or seem completely right. opposite to your personality uh and yet here they are buds I, I think for me is they're so good at showing that dynamic the moments where they put in explicit dialogue of mm-hmm. of their two opposing sides, it just feels like very writerish, if that makes sense. Because mm. they they, they know how to show it authentically, so yeah. I don't think we need the dialogue to say you're you're the opposite of me. Right. Sure. Did y'all like it as a pilot or just an episode? I loved it. To me, yeah. it felt like a YouTube series that was made to spoof oh, yeah. Star Trek. Yes! It's so that's weird good, that yes. it comes from CBS and Paramount because I'm like, I can just see some funny animators putting this together and just being yeah. like, oh yeah, th- this is hilarious. So the fact that it's official is very odd to me. You know, he goes and serves yeah. under Riker and stuff like that. I'm like, but you're a fake show. <laughs> it, it yeah, seems, right. <laughs> it's it very much... It's very much for fans, by fans, and a little yep. bit of self-deprecation in there, too. Like, we're such dorks, and I, yeah. I, I, I love it. I, as far as it being a good pilot, it really, like, kind of doesn't even... I wouldn't even classify it as a pilot, you right. know? I mean, it is I the first fair. episode, but it just jumps right in. That episode could be anywhere in the entire lineage of the show, and it, it would have the same impact. Should we move on to Picard? Sure. Let's do it. And, and Ray, what's the name of that episode? Since I it's called Remembrance. Remembrance. I think it was great to see Picard not in the uniform. And it felt kind of like both he was happy and sad about it. Like, he didn't want to, but he wasn't. But it was very in line with his character, the reason why. He was like, honestly, this is what the situation is. And if it's not going to happen, I'm going to go. Um, I think I've done my job here, and you guys are still treating me like I haven't, like I don't have the um, the forethought. Like I feel like they were kind of treating him like he was off the rails a little bit. And it's like, first of all, you knew this man was the same man for the last forty years. Like this is who he's always been. Is I want to do the right thing, and they were like, he was like, well, then there's nothing left for me to do. So yeah. It's a bummer of a pilot, but they were like, Picard is going to be a bummer. Star Trek bummer. It's just like this, you know, the whole thing that happened on Mars and the banning of synthetic life. And it's just sort of like, that's just like such a bummer. And then they did the big brain, though, because, you know, Mm -hmm. we've got the androids. Right. A a new generation. Yeah. Of androids. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's it's a bummer of an episode. But I, it sets you up for the whole series. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. the, the, the pilot is just like, this is what Picard is. And then the first season delivered on exactly what it promised, which was a it bummer. Was a, a very forceful <laughs> tone change. Because yeah. I'm sure when people initially were like, oh, Captain Picard's going to be coming back. And it's like, this is not the show that you think it is. Like, no. let's just start yeah. that right now. This is not the show that you think it is. It's not going to be more of him drinking tea uh, you know what I'm saying? He's like, I'm really that guy. Yeah. Always have been. They just leaned hard into Nemesis. 
it's interesting too because it's also bridging a gap between TNG and Picard. And so it not only sets up what's going to happen, but it has to fill in the gaps. Right. There is a fair amount of explaining what happened in between. Yeah. It's like, that's how, you know, I'd wondered, like, why and when did Picard leave the Enterprise? And he left the Mm -hmm. Enterprise to to execute the uh, evacuation of Romulus. And I'm like, that's legit. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you guys will disagree with me about this, but I'm not sure they really showed their work on, like, why Picard is so grieving data. Like, I was like, I I guess maybe I just, like, I didn't, I don't know if I realized that Picard loved data that much, if that makes sense. You guys are really that close. I can see where you're saying that, because he wasn't as verbal about it. I honestly always read that. It's probably one of my favorite things. Like, Mm -hmm. so I fully accept it. I'm like, he, he really always loved him. He honestly, for him specifically, would do things that were more out of character. Like, why all of these things? Like, when he was so forceful with the Admiral mm. to go and find him in insurrection. Like, if he's hurt, it needs to be me. Because, honestly, he's probably the one person that could bring data out of something like that if it was something he could. And he's like, if he needs to be put down, essentially, I don't want to say it like that, but if he needs to be decommissioned i absolutely need to be the only person that does that i don't want someone else finding him and scrapping him for medals because most of the other people in starfleet of course we know in measure of the man he fought for his rights like he really saw him as a person whereas i think Mm. a lot of people saw him as a person like android that's why he was so important to him Mm. i see Um, that i forgot about that in insurrection I just blocked yeah. insurrection from my mind a little, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I I want to say they build the relationship more in the movies than in the actual series. Like, you yeah. see it in First Contact, and you don't see it in Generations. Oh, yeah. Time, but First Contact is really... So I think you're right. They don't show the work. I would say in Next Generation, you do not see a uniquely special relationship between Picard and Data, but you do in First Contact, Insurrection, and Nemesis. Yeah. So I, I think in those three movies, it kind of yeah. works, maybe. And now I'm thinking of it. I'm thinking of little incidents in the series now. So maybe I was just being ungenerous to the Picard writers, you know. I think it's still a point worth considering because it does seem a little like this is 30 years ago, 20 years ago. And you're still dreaming about it. Like, well, you said, like, I already said this. I'll I'll stand for him because I I get why a lot of people are like, he's kind of just like curmudgeonly guy, but like, Really, it's kind of one of those things where if you think about the episode when he's in the shuttle with Wesley and he's explaining his injury when they're going to the Starbase so Wesley can take his test and he can get his heart transplant, is this is all of his remorse. And as we see in um, Generations where he's lost his brother, he's lost his nephew, both were extremely important to him, but you never saw it. We, we could feel that he, especially when he went home after being assimilated, it's like, okay, so when it came to the point where now Data is gone and I have no other prodigy, prodigy what, what's the word? Um, progeny. progeny. Um, I have no one else to carry me on. Data was that person for him. He lived yeah. in Data, and Data could remember all of the conversations that they had, all of the things that he told him to make up. Like, Data was 
his reporter. He was his follow-up. And now Dave has mm. been gone. And of course, he didn't really have anyone else. And clearly we also see in the series that he lost um, contact somewhat with Riker and with Troy. So if he doesn't have them, he doesn't have data, he really had nobody. Yeah. He was yeah, also I, very paternal with him. You know, like, very. Data was very, over the course of TNG, you know, you watch Picard sort of mentor him and teach him about humanity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a very father-son relationship in certain aspects. I mean, not mm-hmm. in others, but so... And I think it also draws on the fact that, like, everybody loved Data. Like, I, I think they mm-hmm. know it, it's a, it's sort of like, it's a given that we love Data. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when he meets Soji, he's like, oh, well, the world needs to stop because Data has a daughter. I need to figure out how to make this work. And then, of course, she ends up also dying to protect him. Yeah. Now I've lost Data protecting me and his daughter protecting me. So when Dodge comes out of this trance that they've been putting her in, basically, that he's been calling her every night, basically reprogramming her to make sure she does her downloads or whatever it was that he was supposed to be doing, he's like, now I have a second chance at saving Data's mm. daughter. That yeah. is what... My I, granddaughter. I, exactly. Exactly. He's like, everything stops for, for Dodge. This is the only, this is the mission. This is all there is. If I could ask, do you, of each series, I think, mm-hmm. tries to appeal to a slightly different crowd. So we can correct hmm. me if they think any different. But I think Picard definitely appeals to, or tries to appeal to people who primarily like the next generation. Why else would they cast mm-hmm. Picard? Do you right. think in the pilot they did enough? enough or a good enough job of aligning itself with TNG either in values um, or, or, or do you think that it's at odds with TNG and alienates I, TNG fans I think it was different than TNG on purpose I think that that was a very purposeful decision because I, I mean they could have made another Picard series of him redawning the admiral let's say he they at this point let's say the, the original pilot is they show him retired after data's death really traumatized and he's like i don't want to be in the chair anymore um so he retires and then something happens to have him redawn they if they wanted to appeal to only the tng they just could have put him back in the uniform but mm-hmm. that's i think on purpose this was not that because they wanted to explore him as a character which really unless you were very adamant to pay attention to the growth of his character over the series and movies. Most people are just going to see him as a great captain. He stood for the people. He really had a heart for doing the right thing. And this show says, underneath of the uniform, this is who I this is who I am. And I think I think the the show used cameos so well, uh, especially you know. I grew up with TNG, like TNG was my first Star Trek love. So me watching this series where, you know, every couple episodes you're just like, yes, you know, when you see one of your friends come back. (laughs) I think they did a really great job of incorporating our fandom and also giving us a completely new story. And we didn't have to have the exact same characters 
you know, because it's mm-hmm. 40 years have passed and, and, and if they haven't right. grown and changed, that would be ridiculous. So mm-hmm. um, I think they did a Definitely. really good job of extending the story without just repeating the same Right. I, I, I think for me it's more the over-reliance on TNG characters that makes me think that way. Um, but um, should we move on to... I wouldn't mind talking about Prodigy. I would Get into Prodigy. it, Morgan. Yeah, do it. I was not going to watch Prodigy because, I mean, it was a cartoon and I saw the commercial for it and I was like, oh, cool, little Star Trek cartoon. You know, maybe, you know, hope the kids like it. Right. And I saw a bunch of TikToks that were like, you have to watch this show. And I was like, okay. But I think it is such an interesting, it's just such an interesting piece of this Star mm-hmm. Trek world or the universe that we have never seen before. And I just love how this first episode throws us in the middle of this like slave colony in the Delta Quadrant. And... Mm-hmm. And yeah, and at first I'm just like, you know, who are these people? I don't even recognize these races. I don't recognize mm-hmm. like any anybody. Um, and then eventually they find like a Federation ship, mm-hmm. and I was like, that this is this is really interesting. Like I really want to know where this silly cartoon is going, um, mm-hmm. because uh, I don't know. I just found it very intriguing. And as far as pilots go, it it might be my favorite. It's yeah, so strong. It's so good. It does a great job of reestablishing, I think, Star Trek. And I love that because they are, quote unquote, targeting as children, which I just don't firmly believe that media is for a specific audience. I think media is for everyone. Yeah. That they start this show with all alien species. That everyone is a different race. And I love that they, you couldn't understand them because they didn't have the universal translator like it really felt like this is not an earth-centric show and the characters have to figure that out they have to figure out how to communicate it really felt like learning um which i which i absolutely love it's like accessible they're like let's try like we want to make a star trek that is really, really accessible, and that means like l- the the little bitty ones can be excited mm-hmm. about it. Like you know, it's it's beautiful, it's funny, it's exciting, it's sweet and moving, and and you're seeing young kids like go through stuff and work through their feelings. It's just like a nice. It's sort of like, I feel like they looked at like Clone Wars and Rebels mm-hmm. and all of these Star Wars. Animated series, and we're like, you guys are doing something smart. Let's do that with Star Trek. And so they were inspired mm-hmm. by that, and didn't feel like they had to just like try and make it pure Star Trek. And they were like, yeah, right. this is a bunch of non-humans, um, and it's a little bit darker. It's a little wilder. It's more mm-hmm. dangerous. You know, we got a bad dad in the mix, okay. and uh, <laughs> and uh, and then Janeway, and then Janeway, right. yeah. boom. I think, yeah, what's really fun about the show is that we know more than the characters. Yes. So when you say it's accessible to the kids and to whatever, it's because, like, you don't have to know a thing about Star Trek to watch it because you, because the characters don't. And they see this ship and they're like, well, this is, this looks cool. And I'm like, you know, no, that's, that's a ship, you know? And, and yeah, when Janeway appears, you know, everyone went Janeway and these kids are like, who's this? Like, yeah. They don't even want to listen to her. 
You know, right. and as a viewer, I'm like, you don't ignore Jake. Don't turn off that hologram, you right. dumb kids. How you dare know? you? And it's very, uh, yeah, it's it's a totally different uh, way of viewing uh, yeah, this whole Federation thing, which is just not known out there. No. Right. It's so surprising, too, because I think it's one of the more darker pilots. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, you have a whole slave trade going on. Right. Um, but it doesn't really shy away from it, which I really respect because there's some pretty good children's television out there, like Avatar, for example, that tackles difficult topics, but also it integrates comedy in probably the best way possible. It's just like it it touches on so many emotional beats, but it all feels so natural. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the most important things for like a good family show is that it like you said is accessible to the kids but it also reels in the adults so that you sit down and watch it together and it has so many nods to you know adult star trek fans uh they'll just be like these little moments where they're like we we know we know you're here um and yeah it's so wonderful. And as a parent who has been watching Star Trek my children's whole lives, um, and they have never cared about it, this show brought them into the fold 100%. My daughter is is begging me to bring her to a Star Trek convention. Mm. Um, the, the crossover the between crossover. My Little Ponies and <laughs> it is is like the only other thing that I can say is is just like 100% guaranteed to bring your kids into the fold. I, I love this episode for its its family aspect. It's there for right. the kids, but the adults want to watch it too. Yeah. Right. Yep. Same. I have a similar experience with my son. Yep. Yeah. My youngest is way the only one to watch. Nice. So what was Bringing everyone's all favorite pilot? The cage. The- I'm just saying it. I love the cage. <laughs> oh, okay, Jake. Oh my gosh. Judge me as you will. We we are we are judging you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm gonna throw it out there that I didn't say this when you guys were talking about Deep Space Nine, but I did not like the Deep Space Nine pilot. But hearing you guys talk about it, I'm gonna give it another shot with a different okay. perspective. Because you guys were talking about how great it was that it was this space station <laughs> instead of them going out, people are coming in, and I was just thinking that's what I hated about it. And I'm going <laughs> okay. to. When I made a video about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, someone commented that they didn't like it because it, they, they called it Star Trek The Mall. And I really, <laughs> really like that because I, I was like not digging this airport <laughs> and, and I, I want more flying through space. But I'm going to I'm going to go back and I'm going to try it again and I'm going to go through so more of it. But uh, so what's your favorite pilot, Morgan? My mine is Prodigy. Mine is definitely Prodigy. Just all the other pilots, they start their shows well. Mm -hmm. But I think Prodigy is a first episode that pulls you into a plot that we have not really seen before. And so Prodigy gets my vote. Yeah. Um, I was going to say mine is a tie between um, Deep Space Nine. Um, I have endless love for that pilot and Prodigy because it was so different. It really said this is going to be a different kind of show. And you're going to go on the journey with these characters to figure everything out. I, I, I really agree. I, for me, it is definitely like, you know, while I 
like Deep Space Nine more necessarily than Prodigy, and like Prodigy is not necessarily my favorite Star Trek or will be my favorite Star Trek, just as a pilot, it's almost mm-hmm. flawless. Like it yeah. hits all the things that you need to hit, at, you know, in terms of writing, it's so tight, pacing is so tight, all the voice mm-hmm. work is so great, it's beautiful. It's just like a really excellent accomplishment in uh, animated filmmaking and just in Star Trek in general. So I really got to put it up there. And then the emissary for me, just because I feel like I could talk about that pilot for just hours and hours forever until I pass out. Uh, I think I already said that Deep Space Nine is is my favorite. Um, Just, uh, I think mostly because it's also my favorite series and they do a great job and I, and I just love it. What about you, Lily? Yeah. Uh, It's, between Deep Space Nine, just because I think it it it's such a great tone for the more uh, serialized part of Deep Space Nine, but also I'm gonna give it to uh, Discovery based off of Rewatch Value alone. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that's kind of cheating it for a pilot episode, criteria wise. But I mean it. Uh, it's just so good on the rewatch that I cannot not shout it out. Well, now I want to rewatch it. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, what I think next week or acting next week or next time we decide to post, it <laughs> will be Stephanie's turn. So, do you want to talk about what you yes, plan um, to do? Yeah, next time on the Acting Captain podcast, I'll be in the captain's chair and we're going to go through the first season of Strange New Worlds. So we'll talk about the pilot then as opposed to now. Um, and we'll just kind of talk about the this, this first season as a whole package. And we'll talk a little bit about individual episodes and we'll, all, you know, we'll gush over it and we're also going to criticize it. So if, if you can't handle some criticism, uh, I don't know, fortify, drink some milk before you listen to the episode. Okay. Uh, but if you hated it, you're also probably going to be bored because we do love it. Uh, but we have some thoughtful, interesting things to say about it. And I'm really excited to, to hear what my fellow crew members have to say. So, listeners, your homework. Watch the first episode, at least. <laughs> and if not the whole series, uh, I think that you'll get the most out of that episode if you, if you have, uh, watch most, if not all of it. So, the episode 10 uh, is, uh, is dropping and uh, by the time we release that next episode, it'll all be out there. So. Yeah, I feel like you should watch the whole series because we're going to yeah. spoil the shit out of it if you we're don't. We're going to spoil so it so hard. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> thanks, Captain Lily. Okay, thanks, Captain. Well done. All right, until next time. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Stop it. Yeah. It is like a snowball, right? <laughs>